Hello everybody and welcome to episode 8, the season finale of season 2 of Sequelizers. This is a show all about fixing bad sequels to good movies. If there's a good movie that was followed by a terrible sequel, you better believe we're going to try and fix it. I'm your host, Jack Chambers, and joining me are the two teams of titular Sequelizers. The men formerly known as Street Sharks... But definitely, definitely not called Street Sharks definitely in season not. two. Definitely not. Officially confirmed, not Street Sharks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like there's a there's a hashtag that's related to the show or anything to do with not that. Not at yeah. all. Not at I, not I'm at sure all. if we had a Wikipedia page, it would say, not Street Sharks. Yeah. Matthew Stogden. Hey, my own. And Tom Martin. Pizza Leah. <laughs> First question. Is that racist? Um, I mean, <laughs> racism. Yeah, the thought crossed my mind when I got to the Z bit of it, and I just thought, I'm just going to run with it. Um, I'm sorry if it was the I, running racist Tom Martin. What? So uh, sorry if it was, but I was most... just trying to make a, an Italian sound out of my mouth. <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't oh we all? my goodness. Oh oh, my I've already, I've already broken Alec today, guys. Uh, quite early into the show. Good start. Good start. Speaking of Italian sounds coming out of mouths, <laughs> the other team, a.k.a. Plauschens, Alec Plowman. It's a me, a Mario. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And of course, Stuart Ashen. You'll come to me with a pitch on the day of my daughter's sequel. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's and the fast. winner is Stuart Ashen, yeah, everyone. Yeah, Congratulations, so. Stuart. <laughs> you actually put some thought into you. <laughs> that's because I was last. I had time. Yeah, <laughs> if you hadn't already guessed... We're fixing Super Mario Bros. 2. Yeah. <laughs> it's a masterpiece, yes. damn it. The first one is so good. A Cooper Cousins. Oh, my God. That's a reference. In fact, we're fixing a, a film that is considerably better than any Mario Brothers film that's ever been made. I think this may be the best film we've sequelized. We will very much get I like this that. film. Yeah. yeah, me too. We are yeah. stretching our tagline, because the reality is, if it's a disappointing sequel, not yes. necessarily we a We will very much get into that, because we're mm. going to be discussing... The finale in the incredibly acclaimed trilogy of the Godfather series. This is Godfather Part 3 as the season finale. And as Stuart kind of hinted at, it's a really good film. It's just not a masterpiece like Mm. the other two. Basically, the first two are universally critically acclaimed. And uh, I will let you guys guess the Rotten Tomatoes ratings for Part 1. Oh, 98. Like 96. And part two. Yeah, if they're not, not both 100, I will kill everyone who's ever lived. Mm. <laughs> well, everyone, you're dead. <laughs> they're not 100. Oh, this is going to take ages. But, yeah. Part one is 99% fresh with an ni- average of nine. <laughs> who, who gave a bad review? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That goddamn Steinberg. I hate him. <laughs> is that our old nemesis Ebert again? Oh, oh God. With his controversial views. Tasteless yes. boob writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reference to the old Russ Meyer stuff. That's, a, that's an average rating of 9.2 out of 10 mm-hmm. as well. Which, yeah, yeah. And part two is 97% with an average of 9.5 out of 10. I'd agree with that. So, what guess do you think part fun. three is, gentlemen? Shall we have a guess? I'm going to say... S- oh? Is that a number? No. <laughs> I'm going to say That was parcel tongue for the children out there. Something like that. 67. Let's go 67. Okay. I'm going to go 76. Okay. 65. 79. Matthew Stogden on the button. Oh, 67% average that rating is. of 6.4 out of 10. It's and better than that, I would have I'd said. I'd say it's 7 out of 10. Yeah. I would agree, and that that's a lot of the problem with this, is it's kind of revisionist kind of stuff going back, and it's actually not that bad when you look back at it, but at the time, everybody was so pissed off with it, and the fact that it came out 
so much later. But we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. We'll get into that in a minute. To give a quick synopsis for the listeners, and maybe if you haven't seen Godfather Part 3 or if you haven't seen it in a long time or anything like that. Take a fucking seat, we'll be here a while. Yeah. <laughs> I should I should just say, if you haven't seen it, normally we tell you, don't bother. But yeah. with this one, actually go and watch don't it. Watch. Go and watch a, all three. It's a good film. Mm. Yeah. is satisfying. Carve out uh, like 14 hours and go and watch all three. <laughs> maybe have a poo in the middle. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Take a breath. You're a, you're, a, you're a crazy person if you don't. <laughs> That's the how, rules. You have well to poo in the middle of the Godfather words, trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> so, my a God, synops- I'm Exactly. <laughs> a synopsis of Godfather Part 3. It's 1979, about 22 years since the events of Godfather Part 2. For Michael Corleone, the move to legitimacy is complete. The New York crime business has been handed over to Joey Zaza, and all elements of the Corleone business empire are legal, non-criminal enterprises. Michael, now approaching 60, is now thinking about his legacy. His charity, run by his daughter Mary, has just handed over $100 million to the Catholic Church, and Michael also intends buying a large stake in the international Immobiliari, a Vatican-run property company. These are pe- Things are peaceful and stable, but then Vincent Mancini, Sonny Corleone's illegitimate son, starts a feud with Joey Zaza, and bites his ear off. This has far-reaching, deadly consequences, including Michael's deal with the Vatican. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different show so contrary to earlier episodes this film made a lot of money it had a budget of about 54 million dollars it made nearly 137 million dollars so made its budget back we all agree that it's actually pretty good so why does it need sequelizing gentlemen well it's quite straightforward in the fact that um First of all, this whole thing exists, unfortunately, for monetary reasons. Mm. Coppola needing, you know, studio backing to do his own personal project. And they're saying, well, only do it if you do The Godfather Part 3. Which is like Christopher Nolan's entire career. Pretty much. Yeah. So well, you can do that if you do this for us. And, um, and and then they finally had a word and ran it and said, yeah, okay, fine. I can do this and I'll do it with Puzo. It'll be great. We'll get everything on board. Uh, I'm going to need this, this, and this, and this. And they said, no. You've got a year to shoot, write, and date it, and you get $1 million for every job description of you, you're going for. And it's like, oh, God. And then he's obviously taken this budget to the uh, same cast and crew, who are really only coming back because, again, for money reasons, and you lose Robert Duvall straight away because he notices he's a major part of the story. Duvall is severely missed. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, George Hamilton doesn't really... Uh, his, his effective replacement doesn't mm. really hold up in my eyes. Um, still okay, but... Not good enough. Then there's so much... Cri- okay, the criticism over Sofia Coppola. Now, for a for a bit of background yeah. here, just before you jump in, been. one of the biggest criticisms that's levelled against Godfather 3 is the casting of Sofia Coppola <clears throat> in the role of Mary Corleone, Correct, who yeah. is um, obviously Michael Corleone's daughter. Mm. Um, and she isn't very good in it, but then no. Sofia Coppola's not really an actress. No. She... she became a phenomenal director as she went and on. She's, and she's, she's, the reason she's in it is because she's the daughter yeah, of the director, yeah. Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> but, so, yeah. um, and Francis Ford Coppola is, of course, famous for nepotism. Because <laughs> yeah. he, I mean, um, and it's but, worked in his benefit for most of the time yeah. as well. But in this instance, it was... I think his hands were kind of tied because they had so the many pressures. people who yeah. were up for it and then didn't come through, as you said, Matt, because of... Um, 
budget reasons. So the officially was, cast was Winona Ryder at yeah, the time, yeah. and then she dropped out because of budgetary reasons. Well, yeah. and also health reasons. She and health, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then um, Julia Roberts and other people. Yeah, were, Julia and Madonna at yeah, one yeah, point. Madonna was yeah. up for the role, which yeah. I would have been interested to yeah, see. I think it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Um, How old was Madonna? That that's why she was. She wasn't yeah. super old, but she's she been fifty for like thirty years. She was deemed. She was deemed too old for the role. That's why she's the same age as my mum, and that horrifies me. Almost to the day. She's like a couple of weeks older than my mum or younger than my mum. Jack is Madonna's daughter. You I, heard I, it here I first. I am Madonna's yeah. daughter. It's official. Um, Madonna. Jack is also a woman. Apparently we've revealed in that just like we've... <laughs> Throw away. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that is a big problem because a lot of it, and this is one of the big criticisms against it, is that a lot of the film hinges on her performance. She plays a fairly central yeah, role. Yeah, her kind of love... Yeah triangle yeah. problem thing and, and she's, she's not actually got that much screen time but yeah. like you said she's her small part is so integral to the plot that it still causes a huge problem and yeah. they had to dub her lines or not all of them but a very large portion of the lines again because she had she, she grew up in LA so she's got a valley girl kind of accent yeah and all the New Yorkers are saying that's not a New York accent what the fuck is this and so yeah. you had to re-record most of her stuff again so again the sound quality when she is on screen is noticeably different yeah some of the ADR in this movie yeah, isn't, yeah, isn't yeah, great definitely. it's the same for Pacino as well yeah. at some points you're like uh, these people are not in the same room as there's the people a, who yeah there's thinking. a couple of moments where Pacino turns his back to the camera and it's clearly very badly ADR'd and I'm like yeah. that's really odd I wouldn't expect that from this kind of caliber of director and, and but team I think as you said it was there was so little time exactly. to get it yeah. I then did the research done. and I was like oh that yeah. makes sense Ooh, yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I guess the only other thing with it, because again, overall, as we said, it's an okay it's movie. Decent, yeah. It's just, it's a kind of convoluted narrative. It's, it Absolutely. gets a bit unnecessarily yeah. convoluted yeah. at some point. With It takes, and I mean, The Godfather Part Two is an intricate film, but this takes that to the nth degree, I think, so much so that it, you do find yourself getting lost. You need a cheat mm. sheet to sort of keep up with yeah. who everybody is and what's going on. And it's I because there's so many new characters as well. Yeah. Um, and again, part like talking about the casting business again, who's coming back and who isn't coming back, who's dead and who isn't dead, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because you've got, you still have sort of core elements of the the family, as it were, because the, the the mistake people make about the Godfather films is, and the reason they're so successful, and the reason things like uh, arguably Goodfellas and Sopranos and stuff that followed did so well is because they realised this isn't about crime and shooting and guns and and yeah. and all that sort of stuff. It's a family, and anyone who's got a big Mediterranean or, or Catholic or religious kind of family go, I recognise this kind of gathering. I know I've got exactly an uncle Joey who probably yeah. has done some illegal shit back in the day. Yeah, yeah. and I, I know this whole, everyone has a big family party for something and then suddenly mm. someone's crying and you don't know what's going on and what the hell yeah, is this yeah. bullshit. Who is this old man? Oh, it's your great uncle so-and-so. I've never met this fucking idiot. <laughs> There's that kind of stuff. I'd and, love to see Matt narrate one of his own parties now. I'm quite, I'm quite um, I'm, I'm notoriously an anti-party person. My <laughs> wedding was uh, full of everybody so I could see everyone in one go. Um. <laughs> and never again for yeah. another decade. I, I was on a on a stage looking down on the entire family. It was really uh, godfathery. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't surprise no, me. I come from a, a large yeah, Catholic family. So yeah, I, I played chess on the stage, and then my Irish and English sides of the family. Anyway, <laughs> um, so again, it was, it's the relatability of the thing, and the frustration of Godfather Three is that. You don't seem to have as much... I mean, it's still present and it's still a major factor, but then they try to, as Alex said, put so much emphasis on it. Oh, it has to be really clever and intricate. It's like, well, it's not. You've made it convoluted yeah. and... It thinks it's cleverer especially, than it is. Almost, yeah. Especially with the Vatican plot, yes. which I think yeah. gets... Definitely. 
like in terms of following all the threads because they bring in all the all the families as well and everything mm-hmm. else it's um and for what is essentially a fairly simple mm. sort of twist um there is so much padding around that that it's um yeah it's yeah. it's chal- that's challenging but there are i mean you talked about the cast there are some great supporting performances in God, it. Yeah. Andy Garcia is great Garcia is fantastic um, yeah, yeah Eli Wallach great in mm-hmm. it um Joe Mantegna 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 I never yeah. pronounce it right so I'm going to oh, try God, I'm in for a real one this week <laughs> yeah <laughs> you thought it was bad with Mulan Tom oh god um yeah <laughs> but how many more people can I offend now I think I think Joe Mantegna was great in it as well yeah. and and Andy Garcia really as Michael Corleone's protege <laughs> It, oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, yes. is um, <laughs> yeah plays yeah a great role there. So mm. there's a lot to like about this one, and it was it's hard to weird films that when you dig the deeper you dig into it, you think yeah this is an acceptable release. I'm I'm entertained arguably. Um, it's just disappointing considering what came before. Like the, mm. our Predator Two argument. Yeah, but then you realise all the backstories of what could have been and think that's insane, and not in a good or a bad way. Just that's insane. They wanted to have Robert De Niro playing the role of Vincent at one point. And it's yep. like what. And, so, and because again familial bloodlines it makes sort of sense and they wanted to do um, again and then you find out that after Godfather 3 they wanted to do another sequel but Puzo yes. died where it and was sorry pa- apparently there is a script for that somewhere yeah, yeah. people on the, Paramount on the team have pushed for it and, um, yeah. and it was going to and it was going to be um, following Andy Garcia still running the family bring it to a modern era and flashback to Leonardo DiCaprio yes. playing a young Sonny yep it's really strange I mean cool but I don't dislike that idea no yeah. no it's, it works but it doesn't I'm, yeah. I'm a fan of that it also originally had the title of The Death of Michael Corleone which mm. is really clunky I don't clunky like that and, title no no I know it's 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 like oh the director and the writer were effectively uh, you know uh, Coppola has, has requested it it's like yeah I get that but it's just not good. No. Part three makes the most sense. It does, it does. And yeah, you, after you've called it. the second part two, you don't really have anywhere else to go, do you? No. Exactly. I can I can see in the sense that it is and the thing when people talk about this film they often describe it as the epilogue to the Godfather. That's series. how Coppola mm. describes it because himself. Yeah. it feels very much not like a continuation because you jump so on, far forward. Yeah. 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 And I think that works quite well. This is actually this is the thing we would do as sequelizers is jump it forward and and sure. sort of and it, and but yeah. it's been a problem with films we talked about before. I mean, Blues Brothers t- two thousand being a huge mm. example of that. Yeah. Eighteen years after the first one, mm-hmm. this is sixteen years. It's nineteen seventy four is part two, and then nineteen ninety is part three. I think it's because one and two were released in such close proximity. Yeah, yeah. seventy two mm. and seventy four are part one and part mm. two, and also because one and two are such game changing. Mm. Yeah. and two is a game changing sequel as yeah. well and i think arguably that the, better than yeah. the first no 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 no, no, I, no i would i'm i'm on the side of godfather 2 i've got no no godfather i'm with matthew godfather. on this one godfather 2 is a spectacular film and i really enjoy it but it is godfather 1 is the perfect lean film mm. 2 is yeah. wonderful but because everyone remembers the good stuff about godfather 2 and when people think godfather 2 they almost always think of the de niro stuff yes mm-hmm. there's some great mike um sorry some great some al pacino stuff but then you're also like <sighs> cuba i mean the, yeah the Cuba. Michael the Michael Corleone story doesn't really become a thing until about two thirds into that movie. True, that's when it picks up. It's I don't know. I think it's still wonderful. I yeah. still love the shit out of it. They're yeah. both fantastic. Think, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, the thing that we were uh, saying, Stuart and I, before uh, coming into this session, is that Godfather Two could have been Godfather Two and Three. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got the sequel been, and yeah. the prequel there. You know? Oh no, you're not going to do like a Matrix Reloaded Revolutions to the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> 
We must defend <laughs> Cuba. <laughs> but yeah, if you separated those two stories, you could mm-hmm. um, you could easily get two standalone films out of them that would be really good and sure. about ninety minutes long each, probably. Um, <laughs> what? Instead, we got a four hour. Which is again weird because when they came to the Godfather Part Three, one of Paramount's um, sort of conditions was it had to be no less than one hundred and forty minutes. Yes. It's like what? Yeah. No less. That's a you keep, should like, keep, <laughs> it keep in check yeah. with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know why. But... People's expectations about what the Godfather is. Yeah, That's exactly. for a long film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they basically wanted to to tie into the Godfather as much as it could because mm. you have to call it the Godfather Part Three, as we discussed, the right choice, mm-hmm. and it has to be long as hell because all the Godfather movies are long as hell. You can't have an eighty-nine minute sequel. Everybody yeah. will lose their shit. That potentially, I guess, is sort of ties into what we were saying about it, having loads of padding. It's potentially something they just needed to felt like they needed to convolute what yeah, was otherwise actually yeah, quite yeah. a simple, lean story, which is a shame, really, oh, because yeah. the simplest route is often the best one, really. Yeah, yeah. So before we move on to team names and stuff, I have a little bit of trivia for you guys. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting. This film came out on my first ever Christmas day. It came out on December 25th, 1990. Yes, your up. first Christmas Day, you remember? Well, you was a little baby. As baby I was, bo- I was born in September 1990. So oh. yeah, I was okay. three and a half months old when this film came out. You're welcome, Stuart. I was I'm sure you're in university or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My question is, Lord of the Rings. What won Best Picture in 1990? What beat The Godfather Part oh, Three? Any guesses? Yeah, it's. Um, no, it's... It seems like something Stogden would know. I do. I, it seems like it should be Goodfellas, but I don't think it's Goodfellas. No, no. not Philadelphia, is it? No, it's not Philadelphia. Driving Miss Daisy or something. Dances with Wolves. Oh, didn't Driving Miss Daisy beat something really, really good as well, if I remember? Yes. Driving Miss Daisy yeah. did beat something good. But Alec is correct, it was Dancing with Wolves. Oh, oh. Really? I oh. Dances, dances with Wolves. Oh, hang on. Yeah. Like, Dancing yeah, with Wolves is the little-known sequel where... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the, uh, Kevin Costa gets wolves. bitten a it's lot. It's the 1991... <laughs> Oscars for the year 1990. God damn it. Correct. Like, oh, yeah. What is it? Yeah, Released sorry. in the, like, basically academic year of 1990, yeah, no, yeah, which of is course. from Oscar to Oscar. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Dances with Wolves beat Godfather Part I still Part like Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves is a good film. It is. It's better than The Godfather Part 3. Yeah. I, mean, I love The Godfather Part 3. It so. was so it was, uh, it was so good that they uh, they copied it with uh, with an avatar. <laughs> copied, so good they copied put it in a space. lot of things in Avatar yeah. 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 and Pocahontas yep. and Fern oh. Gully and, yep. and, abused, and Billy and the robot with a big knife <laughs> <laughs> and abused the papyrus font as Ryan Gosling has found uh, oh yeah oh papyrus <laughs> so you may have noticed it's Boxing Day and there are sleigh bells in our theme tune and this is a Christmas Day movie we tied it all together. We tried to make the Home Alone one the Christmas episode, but the timing didn't work out. So we're doing Godfather instead. It also it kind of didn't feel out. quite suitable to end a, end a season on, uh, you know, really. Uh, I think the Godfather is far more epic way. Yeah, to, to yeah. It's a, it's a bit more climactic, isn't it? It is. I hope you guys had a good uh, festive season. Uh, fuck back to work. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yes. On that note, should we get some team names, gentlemen? Oh, shit. Yeah. These will be a present to everyone, I'm sure. Uh-huh. How many Christmas puns can we get in? Former Street Sharks. Hey, that's us. Mm-hmm. Hey, team what? Who's name, that's please. Oh, okay. Our team name is. Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty uh, good. Come in full circle. No more. <laughs> yeah, believe I believe when I see it. Strada Squale. Would you like to take a guess? <laughs> Uh, what that means? Oh, um, oh, oh I wonder. Shot. Is it a, vi- a violin made by Joe Pascali? Very close, but it is in fact Street Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> it oh is my God. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, it's been a fun season. You oh, thought we weren't doing Street Chucks this th- season. You fools. <laughs> you fools. It's been every single episode. It's you haven't been, noticed. It's been a ruse all along. It's been along. a ruse. We've oh. only just yeah. noticed. Thanks oh for coming God. along with us, everyone. How yeah. could we have seen ride. your devious, devious scheme? Yeah, <laughs> what a powerful oh, and amazing chum. reveal that was, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been planning that for weeks. Um, yep. yep. So, You're welcome. It was almost sleeping with the fishes, but yeah, uh, it was almost sleeping oh, with see, the fishes. There's, there's one that would actually have been good. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, no, you know, no, no. <laughs> this skill's appropriate. Oh, just nope. no. Every time you guys you, get a name, Alec goes, "Well, that one would have been a good alternative." You both go, "No, no. You, you, no. you, you think old toothy Bruce is acceptable, <laughs> but sleeps yep. with the fishes? You're like, nah, 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 nah. Fuck it. Look, we sequelize in a certain way. You, you sequelize yeah, in a yeah. certain way. We don't tell you how to sequelize your shit. Sometimes you literally do. Well, yeah, that's true. I think I thought the whole point of the us asking each other questions was us telling the other team out. Nope, I don't ask questions questions anymore. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and Plowshans. How about you guys? We are the Godframpton. Oh, and the shit oh. you give us yeah exactly oh, fucking bullshit. I love that we've actually kind of brought you down to our level we've yeah. worn you down over the last eight Grinding weeks and what a terrible idea for a recurring joke I know we'll make our oh. own <laughs> exactly exactly we've worn I feel like we've we've, we've done a brilliant I think it's horrible thing ground. yeah we've brought them down to our next, terrible moral next level next season are we just gonna give up and refer to the two yeah. teams the Street Sharks and Peter Frampton yeah I think that's <laughs> I think I think the Frampton's boys the Street Sharks is done no I think I think Framp Camp is a good, is a good <laughs> Framp Camp Framp Camp Frampton the Framp Camp what's, what's wrong with oh, that oh my goodness I, so, would, I would go to Camp Frampton no, I, I, I think the Street Sharks are now done again <laughs> oh come off it talk no, box no. lessons start at 9.30 on Monday <laughs> oh, that, that sounds like the best Camp Frampton. Camp Frampton. <laughs> we learned to braid our hair. We hey, want to Peter show Fram- you the way to Camp Frampton. Peter Frampton, if you do Every want day. to uh, copyright or trademark that, please feel free, but you need to pay me some money or first. Or send us a box of muffins. Uh, <laughs> a box of muffins. Already thanks, did. thanks again to Judy Frampton. Um, <laughs> for that box of muffins and signed photograph of herself that she sent. <laughs> what the fuck? That was a signed photo of Peter Frampton's wife. <laughs> Not Peter Frampton. <laughs> Just we Judy don't. Crampton. We don't actually know if her name is Judy. To be fair, we will never know. It's not on. I mean, the we internet. do have Google in this. No, day we don't. No, right. Let's crack on. We're, we're, right, we'll look up on. Peter Frampton's wife later. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, look up a what. Let's have an elevator pitch from Strada Squali. Okay, please. So, the our elevator pitch for this week. Uh, we are calling our film The Godfather. Part three. Whoa! Do you don't want to call it the death of Michael Corleone? We call it the resurrection of Michael Corleone. It's a supernatural <laughs> film. <laughs> He's resurrected as part shark. <laughs> I mean, I don't dislike so. it. <laughs> and we are releasing this film in the year 2000. Wow. Interesting. Our elevator pitch is decades after the events in The Godfather Part 2, Michael Corleone is introduced to his nephew Vincent and must contend with a spate of assassinations and a legal battle with his brother, Tom Hagen. Mm. Mm. Intriguing. Mm. Intriguing. So that's us. Over to Godframpton. So our film is called The Godfather Part 3. Oh, oh my God. Following us down this round. <laughs> yes. I fucking do it. Because what else are you going to call it when they called the second one The Godfather Part 2? Damn them. The Godfather Bits and Pieces. It was made in 1996. Oh. You've both gone later. Very yeah, early. we have. Mm. 
And the synopsis is, an aspiring mafia syndicate must team up with a formidable Chinese triad group to make their way into Las Vegas, but one of the world's most powerful crime families stands in their way. So it's a Mulan crossover, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep. Lots of songs. All your favourites. Mulan 2 plus Godfather 3. Equals Moofather 5. Moofather. <laughs> <laughs> when you said lots of songs, I thought it was like the song family. I was like, what? <laughs> that's a Korean surname, you're racist. <laughs> Not necessarily Shit. just Korean. I've, I've joked, I've joked. Yeah, you joke. Only yeah. one racist on this team. And why get keeping him down? <laughs> <laughs> we all looked at him. What the fuck, man? <laughs> Strada Squally. Hello. Hey. Can I have some more details? See, 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 see. Yes. Right, release year, as Tom has mentioned, is the year 2000, 26 years after The Godfather Part mm. 2. Uh, the director is Francis Ford Coppola. Returning cast, we have Al Pacino as Michael Corleone. Uh, Diane Keaton as Kay Adams Corleone. Talia Shire as Connie Corleone, Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen, and Jeannie Lanero as Lucy Mancini. I'm not going to explain Lucy Mancini as I don't think... Maybe I will. So in, in The Godfather Part 1, uh, Sonny is seen having an affair with one of the bridesmaids, or I think she's a bridesmaid, one of the bride parties, effectively. And she eventually goes on to sire this kid who's played by Andy Garcia in the original. We just brought her back, basically, because it makes a logical sense for the plot. Newcast... Michael Imperioli playing Anthony Corleone, uh, Michael's son. Michael Imperioli is, um, he plays Chris Montesanti in um, the, the Sopranos. Oh, okay. Uh, he's yeah. a spider, yeah. I think. In, is it spider? In, in the good, in Goodfellas. Spider. Yeah. Mm. He's spider? also... Spider. He yeah. is a hero. He's also in Shark Tale. He is in Shark Tale. That is. Oh, oh, oh. Alex, oh, just no. fuck off. <laughs> yeah, that's what we should have done. We just have just copied the plot of Shark Tale. Fittingly, he's in Shark Tale. We got uh, Winona Ryder playing Mary Corleone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was in Alien Resurrection and Government Interrupted this time, and then goes on to do Zoolander and Mr. Deeds and not a lot. She was almost in Godfather Part Three. <laughs> <laughs> Vincent Mancini. Uh, fresh off of 8mm bring out the dead about to go into gone in 60 seconds Nicholas Cage <laughs> or hey. as, we, as he actually is is Nicholas Coppola because yes. he's yes. actually uh, Francis Ford Coppola's nephew he's a nephew isn't yeah. He? yeah that's right but he chose he's, to he's not he's chose to be named after Luke Cage he's cast yeah. in a yeah. bunch of stuff yeah because yeah. because yeah. of that why he always so, wears a yellow shirt and a silver crown <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to go down Coppola's nepotism route and take yeah. that to its uh, this is also him like era of doing like the rock and stuff and face off and being crazy but just a good actor actually in my opinion. okay yeah not, not just me- that shit and terrible well, not the bees the bees they're in my eyes crazy yeah <laughs> not the bees <laughs> oh, uh, playing the role of Vittoria Aprea is Angelica Houston Mm. Uh, she's done the uh, Adams Family Ever After and goes on the Royal Tannenbaums uh, and the role of Giorgio which is a small role played by a relatively unknown at this point Mark Ruffalo Ooh, uh, interesting he's in Ride with the Devil goes on to Last Castle Turn the Sunshine the Spotless Mind and so on and so forth thought you were going to say Mark Wahlberg Not Mark <laughs> Wahlberg playing the most un-Italian motherfucker <laughs> Hey, hello, the Godfather. Say, I need mother for me. But if his consigliere was the talking teddy bear, I would be down for that. Yeah, Yeah, I'd watch that. For DP, we'll bring back Gordon Willis um, because he is quintessentially associated with the Godfather as much as everyone else in the cast is. Yeah, the Master of Darkness. He kind of introduced a lot of the. Well, he he was pretty revolutionary in his style of sort of top lighting and uh, making that very kind of um, extremely dark 
deep, moody, uh, sort of atmospheric uh, visuals that obviously mm. The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2 were known for. Mm. And so we felt it was only fitting to bring him back. And yeah, Tom and I were discussing the fact that he didn't work after like 97. No. But we oh. think this is enough to bring him back in mm. for three years For three years, three years later. He was still, from what we can ascertain, he was still capable of working. And it's not a bit like poor old um, Douglas Slocum where he slowly started to lose his sight post sort of the mid-90s. Uh, so yeah, we felt that that would be sort of realistic to get him on board. And you just, you there's, there's, there's very few, I think... Uh, films where you could turn around and say, well, you just can't make it in the same way without that DOP, much as you know, I'd like to c- claim that what we do is a very important part of it. But like, you just, yeah, you couldn't make a Godfather film without it looking in the same way. Yeah, uh, a bit like the length, really, we were talking about earlier. It's, it has to be a certain of a certain sort of running time, and I think it has to have that certain look. So, uh, so yeah. And we were initially going to go with Carmine Coppola for doing the score because Nino Rota was dead, and then looked at each other and like, oh, he's also dead. <laughs> Dead Italians. Um, so we thought, who's a really good old Italian? Who's uh, not dead Who's yet. not dead. And but he's dead now. Ennio Morricone. We, we, we like to think conversations with Alec at some point might have inspired that, but yeah. it was good, yeah. A bit it's like a- how Peter Frampton has inspired them a lot. It's, he's become our own personal Frampton. Hmm. No, but it's, it's, it's the fact that he has to have that sort of weight and presence of really mm. iconic themes, but also has that old world... Um, Italianness. Italianness, and also 50s, 60s scoring as well, because mm. it needs yeah, yeah. to feel of that ilk. Time to get some cast and details from God Frampton. Yo. <laughs> I feel um, like it's God, full stop, Frampton, full stop. What if what Frampton if, question mark? What if what if Frampton what if Fram- Frampton? What if Framp was God like us? Or the God oh, Frampton they... particle. Riding yes. on a bus. The Framp particle, if you No will. no the fr- the the fr- the fr- <laughs> No 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 the Framp boson. That sounds painful. The Framp boson. The Framp boson. Surely sounds Shouldn't like some Frampton. Or the Higgs Frampton. Yeah. Vehicle yeah. Higgs of some Frampton type. Higgs Frampton. Okay, so the large science Frampton joke. collider. Science so, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's Alex Mind, surely. <laughs> so that's the that's Alex the titles dream. that I get. Like it's Doctor Alec Plowman, the large <laughs> Frampton, Frampton collider. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah. You um, can't activate it. It's going to end the universe. <laughs> it's going to end the universe, but it will sound so. <laughs> Alec cool. Flaum, PhD, like, LFC. It will yeah. sticks in the universe. London ending. Football Club. <laughs> <laughs> it'll sound like it's all cut. The universe is ending through a talk box. It'll be, it'll be <laughs> the best way for the universe to end, I would argue. Um, anyway, carry on. Right. So our returning cast: Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen. Interesting. And that's it. What? <laughs> wait, wait. Are you kidding? Are you joking? No. Wow. Wow. Whoa. Oh, Holy shit. Okay. Okay. I did wonder when uh, you did hell. when you did your synopsis. I was like, this. I've got an inkling. But go on. Mm. Our new cast, Leonardo DiCaprio, will be playing the role uh, of Vincent yep, Ricci. Yep. Mm-hmm. Joe Mantegna as Anthony Corleone. Yeah. Okay. Good call. New character of Roman Yuen, played by Chow Yun Fat. Yeah. Oh, nice. And new character of Novak, played by Dennis Franz, known for playing police people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, uh, he's the cop in Die, Die Hard, Hard 2, yeah. and ah. he's in mm. um, other police things. Yeah. NYPD Blue, Hill Street Blues. If it's about police and it's got the word blue in it, you better believe Dennis Franz is on board. So, our uh, crew director... Michael Mann. Interesting. Oh, very nice. 1996 was yours, yep. Yes, it is. Yep. Good so, call. the year after Heat. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yep. Um, and music by 
Elliot Goldenthal. Good call, good call. Who also did music on that. Batman it's Forever. Ver- it's a very good composer when he's not doing Batman Forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, most... That's most... Not, it's not a terrible <laughs> I, I like I like Elliot yeah, yeah. I, I Goldenthal. Decent... As we've established, most people are better when they're not doing Batman Forever. So, yeah. uh... mm. um, Some people and aren't. Cin- <laughs> cinematography is Dante Spinotti, who is did the cinematography for Heat mm-hmm. and Heat okay. bit of a reference point also LA Confidential yeah and he's yeah. done and that. I love, oh, LA, I Confidential. love LA Confidential yeah LA Ooh. Confidential one of those films that feels like a big warm yeah. blanket full of bullet holes yes <laughs> and dead Kevin Spacey's <laughs> yeah. just, sorry yeah, just, that's kind well, of how a blanket I think made of Kevin Spacey's yeah. skin. body um, but I think yeah. we're still <laughs> we are going for a slightly different aesthetic and I think that Heat which very much felt like a modern for a 90s movie, mm, crime movie, has a particular look about it that mm. I think we wanted to... Yeah, he looks... I mean, that, that yeah. shootout sequence, the way that is staged and shot is just breathtaking. Yeah. That, Still that, holds this, up as well. Yeah, it does. It's, um, it's fantastic. We, yeah, we wanted to get a sense of that. This mm. is You might have realised we've gone for a, a quite a quite a different mm. feeling um, Godfather. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was saying, unlike our, our creature pictures, which were very, very similar, this is two yeah. really yeah, disparate Yeah, this is going to be radically releases. different. Mm. I should also, of course, mention that crimes featured in the film are based on those originally committed by Peter Frampton. <laughs> Fucking God's sake. We thought we'd escape, <laughs> we, then we no, jumped. No, no, just no, no, no. from her house. Frampton gets pulled back in. The Frampton fram- pulls you back in. Oh, the Frampton. Oh, fram- we did have a backup one I was quite pleased with, which was... was backup one? Uh, uh, footage a, of a backup pitch. Oh no, backup a backup Frampton. Frampton. Oh, sorry. Right, what was We've your backup got a file of backup <laughs> Framptons. Yeah. Uh, where uh, it was going to be footage of Peter Frampton's cameo where he hangs around in the background in a trench coat and fedora remained on the cutting room floor. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I prefer the original one. Yeah. That's, uh, That's why we both did it. very well and you should be very proud. Yeah. Thank you, we are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you! <laughs> we should also talk about our themes, which are the dangers of pursuing power. Mm. Corruption is everywhere. It's business, not personal. And... Are you sure these are motivational quotes quotes from a fucking poster? (laughs) What? Where the fuck do you work, Tom? Jesus. (laughs) What can I say? That's the forward mantra right there. (laughs) Corruption is everywhere, guys. (laughs) It's It's business, not personal. As long as it's not in our bloody files, no. (laughs) It's it's business, not personal is a line that gets used repeatedly in The Godfather. Oh, yeah. Oh, we know. So, yes, just to fill you in there. And finally, crime doesn't pay except when it does. <laughs> the oh, the yeah. only theme that should be in a Godfather film is this food is delicious. <laughs> half of the book is basically just recipes. Mm, yes, it is. It's so Italian. <laughs> yeah. Just delicious recipes. So before we get on to pitches, as you already know, Plauschens, a.k.a. Godframpton, have already won this season. Yep, damn you what? bastards. So you're a season apiece. However, mm-hmm. I do have a very special prize for the winners of this episode. I'm not going to tell you what the prize is. I'm going to reveal it right at the end. When, that when, is when, when definitely a penis. <laughs> it's a penis. Oh, no. It's mostly... It, it's a horse's penis. <laughs> My original plan was a horse, it's a, head, horse it's a, head pillow. It's a battered horse's one. penis, definitely. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? As in it's been beaten up or so it's been... Two places used. to avoid are discovered. Tom's place of work and Tom's local chip shop. <laughs> Can you put this in the batter, please? What is it? Just put it in. Yeah. It? It's an extra log sausage. <laughs> this is an, this is an animal peen. Just put it in. Just put it in. <laughs> I've come for my special Savaloy. <laughs> 
Oh, Tom Martin's special Savoir. <laughs> oh, now yeah. that's an album. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Horse pee. It goes in it goes in the fryer, it goes in your face. <laughs> Or it get, or it you saying that again. made me imagine the scene from uh, Public Enemy with the watermelon <laughs> on the horse to the face. Yeah. 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 Anyway, carry on. Carry on. So, playing for a very exciting and mystery prize, I'll come over to Strada Squali. Hey. First, dive into your pitch. So, our pitch for Godfather 3 starts now. 1981. The Corleone family have gathered in celebration of Michael and Kay's daughter passing the exams to become a fully-fledged lawyer. Everyone is in high spirits, but certain faces are notably absent. Behind closed doors, an aged Michael Corleone is meeting with Vittoria Aplea, the head of a small but powerful criminal family. They discuss shared business and how Aplea's forces have been encroaching on Corleone territory. Vittoria dismisses this as the work of ambitious capos and will talk to her people. As she leaves, Michael confides with the men in the room that he doesn't trust a player or any of her people who seemingly came out of nowhere and have risen with unprecedented speed. Michael asks who is next, and Lucy Mancini has shown him. Lucy pleads with Michael to find a place for her son Vincent, his brother Sonny's illegitimate child. Michael, having constantly refused to believe the parentage of Sonny's many sexual conquests, resists at first, but agrees to meet him. Vincent enters the room and manages to charm Michael, reminding him of his late brother. Michael admits that despite the lavish party, his own children want little to do with him, and that Vincent could be useful. The Mancinis are shown the door, and through the crack, Michael catches sight of his estranged wife Kay, congratulating their daughter. Michael hurries to the door and watches from afar before following her and finally making his presence known, asking how she's been. Kay is extremely standoffish and cryptically states that Michael will answer for all of his sins. She then explains she only came to wish her daughter well and then leaves Michael alone, the raucous party continuing in the background. A few days later, we are shown the inside of a courtroom as a major case is brought before the judge. At the head of the prosecution is Tom Hagen, who announces that he will be bringing one of the greatest criminal masterminds to justice, specifically on the count of contracted murder taking the life of Federico Corleone. An attorney for the defence explains Michael Corleone is an innocent businessman who has been wrongly dragged through the courts before and will not be present until viable evidence and charges have been produced. On the other side of New York, we see Kay exit her house and enter into her car. A few seconds of stillness pass before the vehicle and the two surrounding it explode violently. Mary and her older brother Anthony, now a fully ordained priest, burst into Michael's office and challenge him that the death of their mother is solely his fault. Michael explains he loved their mother as much as every member of his family, and he too is grieving. Vincent, overhearing the commotion, enters and tries to console his cousins, who openly and insultingly reject him. As Mary and Anthony leave, Michael thanks Vincent, and after a long conversation about blood and loyalty, brings him on. Michael explains Vincent will be put in charge of a set group, and will be given the opportunity to prove himself. In the courtroom, we learn that the case will have to be postponed as a key witness has died under suspicious circumstances. As she was due to give a testament against her ex-husband, the death of Kay is more than highly suspicious, and Tom says the event itself should be considered admissible evidence, which causes uproar in the court, punctuated by the sound of the judge, judge's gavel hammering down. At the same time, in a prestigious New York legal office, Mary is told in no uncertain terms that she will not be starting her position with the firm. She doesn't understand, and eventually it is revealed that her potential familial connections could be seen to damage the company. Mary highlights that she would be practising under her mother's maid, or late mother's maiden name, but the panel are unmovable. 
We then see a violent and brutal takedown of several Mafia members in a variety of gruesome and shocking ways. A grenade is tossed into a grocer's, several unarmed men are stabbed in a bathhouse, an older man's head is caved in with a fireplace poker, etc, etc. Viewers or listeners, imagine some more devious acts of violence there. A man got, like, punched in the teeth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, better than that. No, 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 better than that. Yeah, that'll be Battered to death with a horse stick. Yeah. <laughs> Michael's office is a flurry of activity as the Patriarch stamps around shouting at his men. Vincent quietly interjects and explains he called for the hit. Ordering everyone out, Michael is suddenly very quiet and very close to Vincent. The young man confesses that he took the initiative and orders his newly assigned crew to wipe out the Fulci family, who he believed, on good authority, were responsible for the hit on Kay, which was designed to make Michael look guilty in their ongoing legal dispute. Vincent adds that he met with one of their crew expressing his dissatisfaction with the Corleones, and the plan was revealed to him. Michael is clearly displeased, having to contend with appearing uninvolved and assuring his family doesn't seem out of control. Michael, seeing this as an example of Vince's loyalty and reminiscent of something his brother Sonny would do, forgives his nephew and dismisses him. The day of Kay's funeral, Michael enters the empty church and walks silently down the central passage. Observing the confessional is vacant, he steps inside. As the curtain slides open, Michael speaks gruffly that he doesn't want to be absolved, that he doesn't deserve it. He just wants to say his sins out loud. The priest responds with silence, and Michael proceeds to reel off the incidents that led him to this day. He talks about his actions during World War II, the various events from the previous films, and actions which occurred between the previous instalment and this film, including a fight with Tom Hagen, wherein he told him he wasn't blood and dismissed him from the family compound for good. He He admits that stemmed from paranoia, but his greatest sin was that he ordered the execution of his own brother, In trying to justify his actions, Michael suddenly breaks down and sobs, admitting that this was never his cross to bear. He therefore promises before God that on the head of his children, he will turn his back on the path that was set for him. With Michael stern-faced, fighting back his emotions, we cross-dissolve between the bitterly upset Michael and Kay's funeral procession later that day, with Anthony serving on the altar. In his office, Michael explains to Vincent that he no longer wants the life and reluctantly puts his new nephew in charge of family affairs, making him an official Corleone. Vincent is flattered but asks if the other Corleones will be bitter. Michael doubts anyone wants the responsibility, stating that so few people want anything to do with him, despite the success and security he feels he's bought them. Staring out of the window, it occurs to him that there could be one individual who, could, who would take the news badly. A car pulls up outside a lavish estate and Michael steps out. Walking up to the door, he is met by his sister, who welcomes him. In a private drawing room, they discuss Michael's decision to put Vincent in charge, to which Connie is understandably angry. She challenges Michael's decision, saying he, she knows so little about Vincent. Michael says he's blood, and that's all that matters. Connie then continues that she feels like she's been ignored once again because of her gender. Michael says that her being a woman was relevant. It was always the company that she kept that was the problem. The two siblings cease arguing for a minute, and Connie offers Michael a drink. Almost ignoring her, Michael wells up. Having never seen her brother like this, Connie doesn't know what to do and how to react. Michael starts talking erratically as he realises that all his advisors are dead or have turned on him. Connie tries to calm him down, but Michael doubles over and collapses on the floor. In a dreamlike state, we see footage of Apollonia, Kay and several other deceased family members. Michael finally wakes in hospital. A man stands in the corner of the room. Groggily, Michael asks, who's there? The figure paces back and forth, berating Michael for pushing everyone away. Michael de- demands to know who's there, but the figure is finally revealed to the audience as Vito Corleone, played by Robert De Niro. Mm, interesting. Vito states that he never wanted this life for Michael and expresses his disappointment. 
Michael screams at the shadow, asking what other life he could have had before passing out again. Vincent meets with the remaining other families about the execution of the Fulci family. Support comes from the Aprea family, headed by Vittoria. The meeting ends with everyone agreeing to a truce, and that nobody really liked the Fulci's in the first place. The areas they controlled are then divided up, and everyone leaves. Entering Michael's office, Vincent is surprised to find Anthony behind the desk, wringing his hands. Vincent inquires what's wrong, to which Anthony explains he feels he has to break his vow and reveal what he heard during confession. Vincent toys with his cousin, assuming he's talking about some salacious sexual affair, but his face loses colour when Anthony reveals he knows everything his father has done. Vincent finally comforts his cousin by saying, I know, before stabbing him in the throat with a letter opener. Picking up a phone, Vincent explains things need to move up much faster. In a New York office, Tom Hagen learns from his secretary that Anthony Corleone wanted to meet with him, but hasn't turned up for his appointment. Tom slowly pieces things together and calls Anthony's parish, learning that he's not there. Realising what this probably means, Tom thinks over his legal battle with the Corleones and starts to doubt his own safety. Michael is discharged from hospital and is met by Vincent. The young man starts to talk about the business, but Michael stops him, saying he's done with that life. Vincent says it's probably wise as life is short. Michael counters that life is in fact long, but only feels short at the end. In a high-rise office, Lucy Mancini steps into the office of Vittoria Aprea, admiring the view. The two women talk trivialities before it becomes apparent that they are clearly in league with one another, bad-mouthing the Corleones and discussing Vincent's future at the head of the family. In a state of limited mobility, Michael is visited by Mary, who explains she hasn't been able to get a hold of Anthony. She's extremely reluctant to ask for her father's help, but he commends her and recommends for her safety to stay with Connie. The next day, Michael visits the compound and speaks with Giorgio a young capo in the family. Under the pretense of seeing how Vincent is taking to his new responsibility, Michael quizzes the criminal and learns that Vincent's first action was to pull business away from the territory that the Aprea family have been after for years. Michael becomes suspicious but conceals it well. Giorgio also mentions that Anthony visited Vincent and only mentions it as he thought that had nothing to do with the family business and wondered if there was going to be a shake-up at the top. Michael, losing his breath, stumbles and stabilises himself on a chair, fearing his son is most likely dead. Again, doing his best to conceal his fears, he explains his recent stroke has drained him. Michael recruits the young man to work directly for him, and out of loyalty for the family, he obliges. Vincent meets with his mother and tells her that he will soon be the sole rightful heir of the family, but also expresses concern about what he has to do. Lucy reminds him of how it took 30 years to get the Corleones to acknowledge Vincent as their own blood. Lucy further explains that it was only when Vittoria married her cousin and became an apprayer that she, they started to formulate a plan to take the mutual revenge. Vincent states he understands and finishes his meal with her. Giorgio reports back to Michael on everything he needs to know, and it becomes clear that Michael not only needs to reclaim the status of Don from his nephew, but that he more than likely needs to kill him too, along with whoever is pulling his strings. Giorgio then relays the results of the sit-down after the Falcini assassination, and that the players are benefiting the most from the division. Michael fails to understand the mutual interest, but Giorgio haphazardly mentions that the Mancinis and the players are related, and that Vittoria married into the family before her husband's death. Michael is confused, stating that he thought Vittoria was the matriarch of the secretive family, a mirror for how Connie could have run the Corleone family. Giorgio says he doesn't know specifics, but that his mother is friends with several connected families, and that they all talk. Michael waves his hand and tells Giorgio to get to the point. The young capo finally reveals that he heard Vittoria's maiden name is Bazzini, but assumed it was just idle chatter. Finally understanding the grand plan, Michael mutters, Bazzini, and remembers how Bazzini was one of the five families who had moved against his father and he had personally ordered the execution of in the 1940s. It never crossed his mind to take out the children, as that felt egregious and excessive. 
Michael explains that Vincent should be given a chance to explain himself and gives Giorgio an order to set up a meeting. In her residence, Connie asks if Mary would like anything. Her frustrated, anxious niece says, just some orange juice. And Connie calls out for one of her bodyguards, asking him to make that too. He notes the request and leaves the room. In an extremely lavish New York restaurant, Vincent strides in, noting the heavily armed familiar faces. He then greets Vittoria and takes a seat. The two converse about how they plan on letting Michael suffer before fading into obscurity, assuming he will simply retire to Sicily or die from another heavy stroke before too long. Spotting something, Vittoria gets to her feet and shouts, No. We briefly see Vincent's reaction before being shown what they're looking at. The rolled down windows of a black car reveal a sole individual in the back seat with an RPG launcher over his shoulder. A burst of flame rocks the car as the ballistic is launched into the restaurant and incinerates everyone inside. The car then races away from the scene as sirens can be heard in the distance. Michael, back in his office, sits contemplatively. Just outside the office, Giorgio quietly says thank you and puts down a phone. He then enters the room and tells Michael it's taken care of. Michael, almost unmoved, simply nods his head. Before he can even breathe a sigh of relief, Michael is startled by a young henchman shouting, Don Corleone, down the corridor. Michael admits the young man and asks what's so important that he couldn't just phone. Without any audio, we see Michael's face sink and contort. The music rises as we are shown calm shots of Connie and Mary slumped over the furniture, blood and foam leaking from their mouths and spilt juice dripping on the floor. With the music soaring and no other accompanying audio, Michael shoes away his men. Roaring with rage, Michael's voice brings the audio back up to full. As he settles down, Michael wearily reaches for the phone and dials. Staying with Michael, we hear a voice say, Hello? Michael responds, Tom, I'm, I'm in a bad way. Michael continues asking his adopted brother to come back to the family, put the differences behind them, and to be his conciliary once more. After a long pause, Tom explains that he can't help him, that Michael pushed him and everyone else away a long time ago. He says he's sorry, and hopes he'll find some sort of peace. Tom then hangs up the phone, and Michael slowly returns the receiver to its mooring. Left alone, Michael stares at his desk, thinking back on his actions and what sort of life he will have now. The camera backs away to the door as Michael offers one last indecipherable final look before Giorgio closes the door. And... Estrada Squale comes in and eats him. <laughs> the end! <laughs> He's killed by uh, an street Italian shark. street fitting. shark. Don Corrione! How? Nice. I liked it. It felt very much like a sequel to The Godfather Part 2. Hey, it's almost mm. like that's what we intended to do. Mm. Yes. This mm. is this is very much, I should say, this is very much Matt's baby, this one. This was the equivalent yeah. of Hawk Aliens for you. It was just kind of like, yeah. cool, so this is some ideas. I was I like, thought, well, how, how about this bit and that bit? And then it was just like, Matt was like, I'm going to do my masterpiece. <laughs> You're not going to be able to pronounce any of it, Tom. Yeah. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, basically I, I, I suspected that you might have a thing or two to say about, about the, old, the old God Frampton. Yeah. You're gonna make me angry, aren't you? Yeah. Gonna make him angry. It's gonna be full of Italians who are actually Irish, yeah. <laughs> who are secretly Peter Frampton. Oh my God! Over to you, God Frampton. Time for your pitch, gentlemen. The final one. Oh, season, season. I shall begin then. We open on McCarran Airport in Nevada. Vincent, a young Italian man in his mid twenties, is waiting in the departure lounge alongside an older Italian, his consigliere. Vincent appears to be anxious about the meeting and keeps checking the arrivals board. His consigliere offers calming words. Finally, the plane he is waiting for, Hong Kong to Las Vegas, arrives. A group of suited Chinese men depart from the plane and come to meet with Vincent. He greets them and leads them to a limousine. Vincent, his consigliere, and the Chinese men decamp to an exclusive-looking Vegas night spot. Led to a private room, they begin their meeting. 
we learn that Vincent represents the Ricci family, a small but growing crime syndicate who are looking to take over a casino in Las Vegas. The Chinese men, led by Roman Yuan, are high-ranking officials of the triad group 14K. A formidable group in Hong Kong, they too want a piece of Las Vegas, but lack the local knowledge to make it work, so they seek an agreement with the Ricci's. Vincent says that, while the Ricci's would consider joining forces with 14K, they are an unproven entity. He says that they need to make their bones if they are to come to an agreement. Several of the 14K men begin to murmur disapprovingly at this suggestion, apparently insulted by the need for a show of loyalty. But they are silenced by Roman, who tells Vincent to continue. Vincent says that the Ricci's have gone to the mattresses with a rival aspiring crime family, the Bianchi's, and they're losing badly. He wants 14K to hit the Bianchi's through the eye, send them a message so that they'll back off. If they do that, he says, then the Ricci's are prepared to go all in with them. There is a moment of murmuring as the 14K confer. Then, Yuen breaks the tension, smiling, and asks where the Bianchi's are based. The Bianchi family is meeting in an Italian restaurant. Suddenly, without warning, a large group of triad red poles, enforcers, pour into the building. This hit is unlike anything that we've ever seen in a Godfather movie. They don't just hit the Bianchi's through the eye, they viciously and indiscriminately kill everyone inside, including the staff and other diners. The scene is a bloodbath with no survivors. The Bianchis are wiped out. The next day, with a gangland massacre making headlines, Vincent and his consigliere meet. The consigliere is taken aback by the hideously efficient brutality of the 14K, questioning whether such a severe hit was needed. Vincent, however, is impressed and says that the 14K's due approach is exactly what they need to make their mark. He arranges a meeting with Roman Yuen and agrees to go all in. News of the sheer horror of the 14K hit spreads through the underworld. The high-profile nature of the crime also attracts unwanted police attention, but it makes the 14K Ricci Alliance greatly feared. As a result, they easily strong-arm some minor investors into giving up their share of the Lucky 88 casino, and now own a third of it. The Alliance begins issuing a series of offers that can't be refused to the other investors in the Lucky 88. However, the casino across the road, Sonny's, is operated and owned by the powerful Corleone Mafia family under the leadership of Michael Corleone's son, Anthony. Meeting with his consigliere Tom Hagen, his administration and his capos, Anthony expresses fears about the power grab. During the conversation, it is revealed that the Corleones hate the Ricci's who are viewed as power-hungry traitors. Under the advice of Hagen, it is decided that the Corleones will offer protection to the lucky 88 investors. The protection of the Corleones, combined with the increased police activity following the massacre, causes the Alliance to hit a brick wall. As a result, an extreme cold war breaks out, where nobody crosses the road from one casino to the other except for punters. Tensions run extremely high, and it begins to severely restrict the operations of both the Corleone family and the 14k Ricci alliance. Barely a day goes by without a murder. Vincent begins to sweat, wondering whether the Ricci's are in over their heads. Yuen, however, maintains a cooler composure. Out of the blue, Novak, the Las Vegas chief of police, asks for a clandestine meeting with the Alliance. Meeting with Vincent and Yuen in the Lucky 88 bar, he says that things are getting out of hand and the police want an end to the tension. Vincent asks Novak how exactly he thinks they can help him with that. Novak responds that the police also want the Corleones out of Nevada. The Corleones, he says, have grown to be too powerful. Thanks to their increasing political influence, the Corleones don't have to pay service to the Nevada police force anymore, which means that Novak and his cronies don't get to wet their beak. 
Novak says he has a way of dealing with the Corleones if the Alliance promised to take care of business and offer a supremely generous sum to the Police Benevolent Fund. Vincent and Roman agree. Novak gives Vincent and Roman the original blueprints of the two casinos, which feature details that are missing from the later plans. He points out a tunnel that connects buildings across the road. He says that the casinos were originally built and owned by the same people, and that the tunnel was used to transfer money between the vaults. Although it was sealed when the casinos were sold later, he says that the tunnel itself is clear. If they knock through their end, they can blow the wall at the Corleone end and gain access to the casino internally. Roman asks what the point is. Surely he's not expecting them to clean out the Corleone's vault. Besides, stealing Anthony Corleone's money would merely escalate tensions, not bring an end to them. Novak replies, of course not. The vault is now impregnable and was moved away from the tunnel when it was sealed, as was theirs. But the tunnel does lead into the high-security hospitality suite, where Don Corleone and the other major family members will be meeting at 3pm on Friday. 14K and the Ricci family pull their soldiers and prepare for the attack. It all goes exactly as Novak said. The tunnel leads straight to the Corleone Casino, and they blow the wall which leads into a storage room. The soldiers run into the next room, which, as described, is a large meeting area, but it is empty, and the door leading out does not open. Suddenly, there is a blast behind them, and the tunnel is collapsed. Machine gun fire bursts through the ceiling above them. They've fallen for a trap, and there are no survivors. Vincent and Roman hold a crisis meeting to discuss how to continue with massively diminished numbers. But when Vincent arrives, he is horrified to see Anthony Corleone and Tom Hagen waiting for him. After the massacre, it seems that 14K have agreed to act as local enforcers for the Corleones for a percentage of takings, as they feel they cannot compete directly with them. The Corleones have only one condition, that the traitorous Ricci family are wiped out. Vincent asks Roman how he could betray him so easily, and he responds that the Ricci's let down their end of the bargain. Their supposed expert street savvy and local knowledge did not protect them from this disaster. As Vincent is carried away to be killed... He looks back at Don Corleone and says, Father, please. He responds with, You picked your side a long time ago, Vincent. You're nothing to me. The end. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Very, very different, gentlemen. Mm. Very, very different. It feels very... uh, It feels a lot like heat. It has an element of uh, Ocean's Eleven in the middle. It also feels like it would be quite a short... Be like maybe an hour 45, two hours. Yep, 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 yep. Absolutely on purpose. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, can I just say one thing that I did like about yours? I like that you actually made Al Pacino the right age that he is. That was one of the Yeah, this is what we discussed when we were like, how old is his makeup shit? Just make him it's old. Yeah. We'll wait 16 years. Although the makeup is fine until he's really old. Yeah. 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 That scene is a bit. Peeling an orange. Oh. I think the ground's more interesting. I thought it was akin to surprise. There's nothing in there. That's a surprise. (laughs) Akin to disappointment. (laughs) In the script, I hope hope that the line there was, peeling an orange, Michael Corleone dies, a dog is perturbed. (laughs) That that feels like it. That dog is freaked out. Yeah. Oh, my God. Rot roll. Rot roll. Rot roll. Rot roll. Rot roll. Rot roll. What's happening, Scooby? Michael Corleone. I love that the, the, the dog is American, not uh, Sicilian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what it's they? really, it's really difficult to do a Sicilian Scooby Doo impersonation. Hang on, hang on. 
Rubio rule. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. What does Scooby Doo say? I don't know how you do it. It's coming over. What does he say though? Ruby, Ruby, Roo. Always like that. Everything with R's. So he just talks about R's. Ruby, 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 Please, I get to me the big sandwich. I can eat in one bite. My cousin is scrappy. Oh, God. That's ruined everything. And now we know. Scrappy, I do. Scrappy, I do. Oh, that was good. Yeah, that's one of the few I can do quite well. First, I have some questions for Strada Squali. Oh, that's us. It is you. See, what would you like? Italiano Street Sharko. Yeah. I'd like to say Italian Street Sharks sounds like one of those knockoff movies that they made in the 70s. It's it's a Goodfellas sequel nobody wanted. I mean, I'd quite like to see an Italian Italian neorealist Street Sharks film, because that would be quite interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that would be a team night out. Yeah, exactly, the bicycle sharks. Oh, Oh, my God. They would be riding bicycles looking very, very glum. A hench. A hench, but glum. Anyway. So, my first question is, you open... Well, early on in the film, you mentioned the court case and how it's kind of going to be an integral part of it. And then Kay kind of dies before any of that happens. So I felt like you kind of built to not much happening in the court side of things. Like you could have done more with... Tom and his kind of side of things, and then yeah, we were we were talking about what was the the idea initially became um, effectively that the way that these things are settled is uh, this is not intentional. In the streets. Fuck you, Matthew. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's it's, 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 the or in the sea. Because the idea is, <laughs> the way we put um, Mary and Anthony as a priest and a lawyer was a specific thing. Mm. It's like, they're going to try and save souls, save lives, and that sort of way. It's like, try and this get is, clean. Yeah. It's like, that's, you know, wash off the, the past of the family. And Michael's just, you know, need to be say, that's not how we fix things. That's not how we do this. We mm. don't go to courts. We don't do this stuff. Um, and the reason we sort of took that out very quickly is because to illustrate how uh, not not toothless. Yeah, no, toothless is a good one. Uh, how toothless the the courts could is be. That a street shark, fun, Matthew. <laughs> I don't think it is. Sharks have a lot of teeth. Um, <laughs> yeah, how toothless uh, the courts could be because they they're sort of impotent. Whereas mm. this is how it's fixed. It's the Sicilian way. We don't do it that. Whereas this. on the streets, there's lots of teeth. Lots of teeth on in the streets. mouths of sharks. Some would say that's true. Um, this is all one big street shark. Yeah. Thing. So it's pretty much just that, just the idea that... I mean, it doesn't get rid of Tom as such, because he's still present. Yeah. But yeah. in the same way that the court case in Godfather 2, it's not actually... I mean, you come, you come back to that three or four times, and it doesn't really do anything, because it's dismissed in the end. Because mm. again, again, that's the same way here. K is killed, so court's dismissed. I mean, that's it. We have got nothing. And again, Tom's like furiously screaming, this should be the evidence. This should be the point. It's like, but it's not admissible evidence. It's nothing. We can't do anything with this. And it's the idea that you can't fight crime with the law the, the impotence of trying to fight the mafia family yes so from the other side it would seem that it would be more beneficial if Kay testified in court but then she's killed off mm. so it's a weird kind of well, there, again, yeah. I'm coming back to the court thing again sure no it's fine like... there's, there's two reasons for that um, effectively speaking the first and foremost is because from the audience's point of view we don't know who it is that's ordered the hit we don't realise it's, it's uh, Vincent until mm. much later through the right, 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 yeah of course and so it's to put him in more of a standing like oh it's an excuse oh it's the full cheese bullshit that kind of thing but it's an, he's he's killed anyone who could say otherwise so it, it becomes truth the second reason is because the Vittoria as a Barzini 
who's then you know uh, also in a prayer she's not trying to <clears throat> excuse me she's not trying to get rid of the Corleone family just the one at the top she wants to control it through Vincent as a puppet head as it were so mm. if you bring it through a proper court case and exposes all the Corleone affairs it affects all of them so in other words just trying to keep it underground yeah I mean they still, still yeah they still have a bit of crossover so it's like well we don't want I mean this would be really good because it would take Michael out of the picture immediately and we could sort ourselves out but then it puts us in the firing zone as well there could be fallout we could be taken in as well the you know Rico case mindset of everyone gets tried as one that kind of thing so it's 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 an idea of um, master manipulation kind of thing in theory and basically trying to chop off the head of a family and replace it as opposed to chop it off and kill the whole thing. Also, mm. Michael's suffering. Michael has to suffer. Yeah. That was one of that's <laughs> genuinely as a theme. That there, was one of the a fucking theme for That you, was yeah. one of the themes that we suggested that, that was one of the things that we suggested yeah. is that he has to sit at the end and be in a suffering. Place. You have to look at his face and think, the fuck, fuck is this, man? Yeah. Because at the start of the first film, I was like, I don't want this life, Dad. And he said, like, I don't want it for you either, son. And then at the, the second film, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. You killed your own brother. Because there's this idea that Godfather 3 is about, oh, he's atoning for his sins and he wants to be out of the life. And that's a great pitch. But apparently Pacino didn't want that. He's like, no, I don't think Michael ever would feel bad for his son. So we've, we've tried to put that in there that he does, but doesn't know how to get out. And then does and does It all just falls. It basically, it, it just all catches. Basically, his sins catch, catch up, up with him, with him. and yeah. and it all just falls around him. He, he's he's run out of tight space and run out of time. And, yeah. and that's the kind of the, 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 the life feels short at the end kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, which is what hap- sort of what happens in the real Godfather Part mm-hmm. Three with that very cheesy, badly done ending. Oh, fall over. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the the recap of all the women for arbitrary <laughs> yeah. oh, reasons. God, yeah. it was Who cares ladies. about the men? We only care about the women. Yep. Very weird. But speaking of the ending of yours, sure. and it's an odd thing to say because it's the Godfather. Mm. Is it a bit too dark and depressing? Like it's nah. you, you go you no, kill think- basically. Everyone, Connie, Mary, the fucking lot. Yeah, I think it needs. I think the reason, um, again, to come back to themes, uh, one that you guys mentioned was the fact that you know crime doesn't pay, and we really and the that fact that we were just talking about, obviously, until it does. Until it, well, until it, but but it's like it, it's the stuff. The idea of putting him in um, in a in a point of suffering was something that was really important, but also just to kind of put a really sort of permanent full stop mm. yeah. ending. You know, it, it felt it needed no, no Godfather, Godfather four. four. No, no Godfather. <laughs> well, no, personally, no Godfather four. And also, just to put I, it, I, the thing is with the Godfather is that it, it's it's Godfather three it's doesn't so need he- to end with a funeral. You don't need to see Michael dead. You mm. just need to know he's he lives he's, with his decisions. Yeah, and he's at the end he's, of every film. He's always like, he, I mean, he's dead inside. Dead inside. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's enough. Yeah. And it, it, the girl it also means that Victoria and Lucy kind of won mm. in a way. Yeah, and yeah. and it's you know the Godfather films always have this kind of gravitas surrounding them, and I just think that it it, it ends in such a kind of you know it, it ends with with that kind of gravitas of like no this is almost like a this is a final heavy book hmm. closing and it's like you know this this is where we leave the characters there is no hope there is no redemption for him and actually that's quite i think I, that was important for i the just character. imagine the ending of shrek just <laughs> <laughs> i mean that was the other option hey now you're an all-star <laughs> you're the godfather <laughs> and it pans Everyone's out and peter falk is reading the book to Fred savage in bed <laughs> i like the idea that it pans out and then there's a musical number where all of the cast from the god Father, and like oh, dancing and singing. Oh god! At the end of that live-action Beauty and the Beast, where oh, they all no, come I'm on and show you. Oh the god! Yeah, yeah, fucking yeah, hell! Yeah. Over to you, Godframpton. I have a couple of questions for you guys as well. My main one is: the Corleone family is not a central focus in that, and I think that's an interesting 
twist in one way, but I think it could not go down well with hardcore Godfather fans or audiences in general. Do, do you well, have a... I assume that was a very much a conscious decision of yours because that's a very... Kind for of, me, that book, which very finally ends, ends at the end of The Godfather Part 2. Mm. I don't want any more. We've had the prequel. We've had the sequel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and basically, okay, the Corleones may still be a thing, but I don't want any more of that story. Mm. Mm. I, I, I just don't think you're going to make a good go of it. I thought you guys kind of did, but we'll ignore that. That's fine. The thing is that um, we also have the reveal that Vincent is a Corleone. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And I think that, and in keeping with this theme of familial betrayal, because I think that it starts off as a very different film and then midway through it starts to become more familiar. And I think that was also a conscious decision because we're setting this in 1996. So there is this idea that we have moved things on a bit and we wanted this to feel like a for the time more contemporary godfather movie so there's this idea that there is this is generational that's also why it's anthony corleone um because we initially it was michael corleone but as we were going through it um we just kind of went you know what let's make it let's make it anthony there's just because of a throwaway line from godfather 2 where Kay is talking to michael before she leaves and she's like you don't know how messed up he is and he's like, no, I. And she's like, you don't see him, you don't know about the problems he has, that sort of thing. And I thought this idea of, what if we made it so that he was really messed up? And what if we made it so that even if, because surely, I'm talking about the suffering of Michael Corleone, mm. surely that would be the worst thing for him. The man who does everything to try and protect his family has made his son into a monster mm. who would kill his own son for mm-hmm. betrayal. And I know. Michael killed his brother, but given how much of what he does is about his, it's almost like Kylo Ren Han Solo kind of, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Son betrays the father kind of moment. And for me, that final shot of um, Michael Corleone at the end of Godfather Part Two, I think that's the last I need to see of him because it's like that's spot on. He's there. He's pushed everyone away. I'm doing everything to protect the family, and what have you done? You pushed them all away. You've done the complete opposite of what Vito did, basically. And then we pick up again in the next film, and not only has he pushed them away, he's made his son into a maniac. Yeah. Mm. Well, the more more um, heartfelt connection with the... Like in Sal, uh, in the in the first film, Tom, is there anything you could do for, uh, for old time's sake? I'm sorry, yeah. Sally. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah that yeah. kind of dragged away. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, that feels... It's, it's almost like, you're, as I say, the Michael Mannisms, it starts off like a... It's, it starts off, he ends up Godfather, like, ha like you're pulling a Scooby-Doo mask off. Yeah. <laughs> it's Robert De Niro. <laughs> hey, guys. Well, you mentioned you've made it much more modern feeling, and I do wonder if that fundamentally makes it less godfathery as well, because the others are so steeped. I mean, they are period pieces. They're so steeped mm. in that kind of, not the law, but like the history of mafia genre, law kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think having it in the 90s would... I'm basically worried that the 90s will creep in and be the 90s and be like, <laughs> as as good as Michael Mann is, and you, I think he is an excellent choice for director, you've got a kind of, yeah, I wonder if... To 99- be fair, Anthony Corleone would have been wearing a baseball cap backwards <laughs> in every scene. So. The word rad would have been used. Yeah. So so radical yeah, reaches, just like... <laughs> <laughs> sprayed over the walls yeah. as they get into their pizza van and drive off. Um, <laughs> We'll settle this way. We always do with a skateboard show. <laughs> those old, those old mafia skateboard showdowns. So, in, in a similar kind of concept of 
the Corleone thing is not the central focus. Is it godfathery enough, basically? I wonder if, again, like hardcore fans like old Hello. St- old man Stogden over there would be switched off. If like if you go in as a Godfather fan, but they're not, oh, I wasn't keen on Heat. They're crazy for a start because Heat's fantastic. But it is. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if that would, that would maybe cause some friction. In, in my words, it was the fact that because I really like the pitch. I think it's a great film, a uh, great Michael Mann film, great heist film, um, really good crime family film. Not a Godfather film, not for me at least. That was kind of deliberate though, but because thing, yeah. I th- I feel like everything's been wrung out of those first two, and they're mm. so good on their own. And you are not going to be able to recreate that, I don't think. And I think the idea of being. It's interesting because you very much made yours a, a bookend. It is a we yes. cannot make any more after this. I think we kind of went from the different approach of we could do a whole new thing with this. We could set up something completely different. We take enough of the elements to make it familiar, but mm. it's and it's interesting because I, I think about this in relation to something like The Force Awakens because The Force Awakens is a film that one of the the it was very well received, but one of the few criticisms of what of it mm. is that it was too much confined to the Star Wars ballpark. Right, there yeah. isn't. Yeah, and you always run that risk with a with a sequel. So we thought the idea of well, let's move it to a different ballpark. We'll get some of the some of the old team, but let's put it in a different ballpark and Does that see not what then happens. Stretch into spin off territory more than sequel territory. I mean, because it, it, it felt very much like the it felt like, very much like the Rogue One rather than the Force Awakens to me. It felt like the kind of the set in the same universe, maybe with a hint of the same characters, not part of the same saga. But but but, but also, I guess and, that's an interesting thing because we've never really covered spin-offs on sequelizers and true. what the um, spin-off qualizers yeah, because, coming soon. Because <laughs> I agree with you that it is more of a a spin-off than a, than well, a sequel well, I don't mm. think that's it's almost fair, like Godfather Godfather from Hong Kong to Las Vegas a yeah. Godfather story or from Hong Kong to Las Vegas a Godfather story <laughs> and we spent we think. spent so long trying to get a reference to Hong Kong in the title and just couldn't come up with one which mm. is why it's Godfather Part 3 because oh. ultimately I think ideally we would have gone with a different title we just initially highlight how different it would yeah, be yeah right. and right, to right. To market it differently, yeah, yeah. I think that would have benefited. To market yeah. it differently to mm. different kinds of audiences, mm. because <clears throat> this is the other thing: is you have the enough of a familiarity that you can say to people, "This is a Godfather mm. thing," but you can also then go Michael Mann and and Leonardo DiCaprio as well. Is yeah, no, bring, has got cool a, well. a, brings in a whole thing of his own. So I think that was a also a. A conscious thing, and that's also why we didn't go with Michael Corleone in mm. the end. You've got Tom Hagen there, as who much is as I a reference, and hate is a to always bring it back to Star Trek. It feels like Star Trek, when the sense that like, no, no, we're done with the original universe. We're now somewhere else. It feels like both Star Wars still, and Star Trek at yeah, the same time. It's still yeah. called Enterprise, and there's an Enterprise ship involved, but it's nothing like the original. And then you go into DS9, nothing like the playing game before it. And again, it's the whole: is it a spin-off? Is it a sequel? Is it whatever follows along? Yeah. So yeah, I get that. And, yeah, say. to be fair, I think you know you could you could dock points on the basis that it is not a, a straight sequel, and I think that would be fair enough but i think we were we were experimenting with moving into spin-off territory which is a, a new thing here but yeah. we thought we'd give it a go we're not changing the name of the podcast though guys a bit like that spin-off qualizers sounds yeah. terrible spin-off qualizers sounds a bit like a sort of spin-off qualizers the russian yeah. equivalent <laughs> <laughs> so i really like both pitches i like that strata squally went very godfathery and Godframpton went very ungodfathery. I really like the choice of Michael Mann. Like I said, I love Heat. I think mm, it's an excellent yeah. choice. Okay. I think Chow Yun Fat is an inspired casting as well. Mm. Me 
basically does no wrong in my opinion. No. I'm a huge John Woo fan mm. and Hard Boiled. We one nearly of my had John Woo yeah, direct. John Woo was almost the director. Interesting, for this. interesting. Yeah. That but it, it was feeling so Michael Mann though. It kind yeah. of yeah. a lot more doves in that movie. That would have been. And teenagers releasing pigeons <laughs> and doves, and, and also um, because we were sticking a shed to Secret Lies Law, there ended up being a scheduling conflict because John Woo did two movies in '96, so ah, that, that was part of the reason we brought Michael Mann. The old Dan Aykroyd is on holiday yeah. joke yeah. that yeah. I keep making, yeah. Yeah. and I really liked the kind of as much as I said, is it too dark? I like that Michael's sins come back to him, and I mean. For want of a better phrase, you fix the Godfather Part Three. We often we often have that kind of thing where one team goes off and is batshit crazy, and the other team goes off and yeah. actually fixes the sequel. I really like the whole kind of secret casino tunnel thing as well. I thought that was a nice little twist, and then I did not see the ambush coming. I thought that was a really cool little moment, and I really like the and Stratosquale. I really liked your secret De Niro moment. Mm. That wasn't over. I felt like it could have been overplayed, but you played it subtly enough that it wasn't like, "Hey, De Niro's back and he's in it for the rest of the movie." And like some weird spoilers, like Arkham Knight Joker style thing, where yeah. he's like lurking yeah. over his shoulder the whole time. It could have been overdone, and I think that would have been an easy thing for you guys to do. And I really like the kind of the twist at the end with Godframpton and Vincent being Anthony's son and coming back round and being the I don't know, yeah created a monster through the generations kind of you can't escape and it, it always pulls you back in ha 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 kind of godfathery <laughs> thing yeah <laughs> I remember Michael Corleone being really jovial <laughs> it always pulls you back in famous quote from cheerful man Al Pacino <laughs> so it's time to render my verdict. And as I mentioned, I do have a special little prize for you. Ooh. You're all a little worried about this prize. Mm. It's not an actual live horse head. It's not... Well, not alive. I mean, it's it's a, yeah. How have you kept it alive? It is in a Sainsbury's bag. So unless Sainsbury's have really improved their uh, meat selection, it's not going to be a horse's head. <laughs> Fresh from Tesco. Yep. It's a horse's penis Lasagna. and head. Uh, relevant three years ago, or four years ago. Yeah. Years ago. We can only hope for another horse meat scam. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Those I'm a vegetarian. Hey, it was December 2017. It's like, all oh, these turkeys are horses. <laughs> <laughs> hey, then we'll be relevant. Exactly. Anyway, it's time for my verdict and time for the prize reveal, which is kind of visual for a podcast, but I'm sure we'll post photos of it on social media at appropriate times. Jeez, mm-hmm. I'm really worried about this. <laughs> <laughs> and... The winner of episode eight of season two. I'm going to go Strada Squali. Congratulations, Thank gentlemen. You. you didn't win the season. I think won. basically, if I think, an I, think, finish. I think Matt would have committed seppuku if he, he hadn't, if, if he hadn't won this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I might have. Yeah, yeah. You might have done. So, um, while he was in Japan. Maybe you can commit seppuku. No, I'm joking. With. This plush Vito Corleone! Oh my god! That's amazing. I Isn't it adorable? That. <laughs> I Isn't it adorable? Hate the so, shit out of that congratulations. Point. This is your Oscar. Congratulations, that is, gentlemen. That, where the fuck did you get that from? That when, is a stu- Wouldn't you like to know? It's even in proportion. It's a bleachers creature, did, appropriately huge headed Marlon Brando. I'm assuming you're getting it. Did you get that from Thought Bubble? Oh, no, I like didn't. Brando. No, no. It smells it's, like Brando. It's got the official Brando <laughs> musk, I believe. Yeah. Is it ripped? It's got no back end. That's good. That's nice. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's correct as well. This is uh, this is beautiful. It has a, it's it's really weird because it has a nose. Yeah, that the hard nose is very it's, odd. Like I said, check, check out our Instagram and Twitter feeds, and you'll see what I mean. 
It's a Bleacher's Creatures plush what, veto What I also only. love is that on his little tag it says make him an offer he can't refuse. I mean, like, he can't talk so we can make <laughs> him... A, <laughs> I was hoping it was a squeeze your hand, like... And he goes, no. Yeah. <laughs> ruined everything. He can't refuse. Well, I suppose so. <laughs> it also looks like cat. his feet are in concrete blocks. It does look like he's going to sleep with the fishes. Yeah, he's um, going to sleep with the cardboard I, fishes. I also love that it's got on the back, back uh, adult note, please remove packaging attachments before giving toy to child. So you're either the best or oh, worst yeah. parent in the world. <laughs> I grew up with I my Vito my Corleone. Vito Corleone I can't sleep off. without Vito Corleone by my side. I mean, that sounds, that <laughs> sounds like a, Jack James. I was, was going to say, that sounds like a, a confessional autobiography or biographical title. Yeah, um, exactly. There we are. So, congratulations, Jeremy. That's amazing. You, Thank you, you very much. You have a new uh, mascot to join your street shark collection. Congratulations to you guys for winning the season. Yeah, congrats. Thank you very much. It's been Se- fun. Season of Peace. Into, yeah. uh, into, uh, into season three. Yeah. Yes. Because, like at the end of all good kind of like James Bond and Marvel films the sequelizers will return but we don't know when or where you will or find how. out you will find out or why <laughs> <laughs> why the reason why is because there's still loads of terrible sequels we're not running out of is this like a, ideas a comic yet don't worry sort of like comic movie comic book superhero movie where it's like there's always crime to fight exactly jump off a roof somewhere it is where there's bad sequels we'll be there there's always crime to fight Sorry, Daniel Williams, we just ruined by acapellaing it. Before we go, Alec Plowman, how can people find you on the internet? Wow, me, hello. It is indeed you. Hello, and indeed goodbye. Plow's time to shine. Yes, so Alec underscore Plowman is where you can reach me on Twitter to talk about old toys and all of that sort of business. My website is alecplowman.com. Been updated three times this week. Jesus I Christ! Christ. Sorry, this, I thought I you were going to say this year. Shut the internet. Since the as, show began. As, as someone... Why? How? Yeah. I, I, I had shit to promote. Tune in and find Jesus. out. It's fucking yeah. great. Right. Um, this is unprecedented. You're yeah. updating over Christmas, Alec. How unusual for you. <laughs> um, yeah, um, we might have recorded this a bit before Christmas. Uh, yes, so you can find me there. I am in a band with our wonderful host, Mr. Jack Lawrence William Chambers. And that band is called Monster City. And you can find out all about us and our heavy gut dang metal at... <laughs> <laughs> www.monstercityband.com Mr. Stuart Ashen how can people find you in real life <laughs> or on the internet whichever you prefer I'll go for the latter oh, suit yourself yeah. Ezekiel 25.17 the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers, and you will know my name is Ashens when you search for me on Google. <laughs> I, would, I would like to point out, listeners, that Ashens does not write this down. He remembers He closes his eyes. He he I've had it tattooed in, on my he goes, he, goes into a, he goes into a special place, and then he comes out with yeah, that was things. that was incredible. Um, That'll be available as a ringtone in early 2015. <laughs> Over to you, Matthew Stogden. Hello. How can people find you? Should you wish to find me, you could go onto the internet and search S-T-O-G-H-Z on the Instagrams or the Twitters. And you can see my various thoughts, complaints, stuffs, and pictures of things. 
I don't really take pictures of my face, so just, just things. Mostly plushy Godfather-related items. Now, it's my new, my new profile picture for everything. And if you want to read my reviews, go to theredrighthand.co.uk. If you'd like to see some films and shorts and sketches and things that we produce over at Cheesemint, you can go to cheesemint.com or search Cheesemint on the Google. That also works. There's some things on there that might entertain you. They might, they might, they might tickle you somewhat. Um, that might make you very sad because we like sad endings. As, <laughs> as a parent. I particularly yeah, recommend really your Eurovision video. I think that's oh, one of my favourites of the Cheesemint collection. Very kind. Um, uh, yeah, so you can do those things. Uh, I think that's pretty much the only way you can find me online. Uh, so, ciao. And of course, Mr. Thomas Steve um, Buscemi Martin. Oh, okay. You could have just go with my full name, which is Matt Thomas Stephen Martin. I know, yeah. Oh. I, I thought I'd add them. That's the joke, Tom! <laughs> <laughs> Be with the begin on it. So if you'd like to find me in real life, you just need to go to a mirror and say my name five times and I will appear. Uh, <laughs> five if you times want to... interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's excessive. Uh, like everything about me. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> My God, look what he's wearing. He looks like Elton John. And uh, yeah, if you want to find me on the internet, however, I am a filmmaker and a cinematographer and I run a production company called Forward. And if you want to go and sort of find out what kind of films we make, uh, you can go to our website, which is weareforward.uk, where if you want to hire us to make films, you can do that as well, which would be good. And if you'd also highlight that anyone out there thinking, oh, wow, yeah, I'd love to do that. He's, He's like professional. It's going to cost you a lot of money. I mean, just, yeah. just, I mean, like, some yeah. of like, it'll cost you literally. It's gonna, it's gonna cost pounds. It's, it's gonna, yeah, pa- many, many pounds. Yes. Make him an offer. He oh! can't refuse. Oh! Yeah. Cash. Yeah. <laughs> cold, cold, hard cash for in exchange for good ideas. That's mm. pretty much how we work. And if you'd like to find me on social media, the company's uh, social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is at Made by Forward, where we post lots of reasonably exciting behind the scenes stuff and pretty pictures what we done made uh, if that's the sort of thing interest you can do that and if you want to follow my personal account on Instagram which is also sort of pretty pictures of me on film sets and other things on film sets and also some other random shenanigans that I get up to that's at Tom Martin underscore 89 so Jack uh, where can the lovely lovely listeners find you on the internet and or indeed real life where you be Mr Jack where you be usually Norwich sometimes not Norwich you can follow my Instagram and Twitter and everything else I'm JLW Chambers as Alec correctly announced Jack Lawrence William Chambers is my full name of course if you want to tweet at the show email the show anything like that it's at sequelizers on Twitter and sequelizers at gmail.com is the email address to send all your complaints alternative pitches uh, fantastic drawings and fan art and posters and all that cool stuff. Whatever you like. Well, with the pictures pictures of Hawk with aliens, with please. The, <laughs> with the season apiece, draw a line under the Frampton, line under the Street Sharks. Give us some suggestions for next season so we can say, <laughs> no. And then do Frampton and Street yeah, Sharks. Yeah. <laughs> yep. but, but, but seriously, if you've got suggestions, maybe hear them because you guys do sometimes have good ideas. And if we steal sometimes. Them, so that's it. That's season two done. That is season two done. Congratulations. Mm. God, yeah. Frampton, Plowshans, whatever you want to call for Thank winning the season. Yeah. Congratulations, Strada Squally, aka Street Sharks. Totally not Street Sharks, not but still Street Sharks. Totally not Street Sharks, but totally Street Sharks. For winning the adorable plush veto. It's got really soft hair. It has really soft hair. Yeah. And a really hair. hard nose. <laughs> what a like cock the real like. Marlon Brando. <laughs> yeah, life accurate. See you in season three, listeners. Yep. Bye. And 2018. See you in 2018. Merry Christmas. Bye.